Well, the, uh, the B team did well this morning, didn't they? Thank you, Keith. And I was sitting there watching Kaylee play the harp, and I'm proud of how far she's come since she took lessons from me. So, uh, Kaylee, <laughs> she's still over there. I don't know where she went. She's probably gone to practice some more. How many of you have a Sunday morning routine? Raise your hand if you have a Sunday morning routine. Most of us have a Sunday morning routine. I don't consider myself to be a creature of habit. I'm not one of those people that has to do the one, something over and over and over again. I like to spice it up a little bit, but one of my routines comes on Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning I get up, I get dressed, I get in my car, and I go to a coffee shop, and I order the same coffee every Sunday morning. I got to the point where the barista knew me by name, and that was fun because you become a regular someplace, right? That's good to become a regular. One morning, I placed my order, and when I came around to the drive through window to pay, the barista said to me, go on, have a good day. And I said, I, I haven't paid you yet, right? I, I, I haven't given you money for what I have purchased. He said, that's fine. He said, the, the lady in front of you paid for your coffee, and she said to tell you to have a good day. And I said, are you serious? Like, this doesn't happen to me. I hear about this happening to my friends, but my meal or my coffee is never paid for at the, at the drive-thru. He said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I'm serious. He said, have a good day. He said this, he said, and these are the things that stuck out to me. He said, she does this all the time. This is what she's known for. I thought about that for a second. She does this all the time. This is what she is known for. As I thought about that, I came to the conclusion that this lady, who remains nameless, right, and I'm sure that's the way she wants it, this lady has developed a habit that has become so consistent that people can identify her by her actions. Does that make sense? This lady does something over and over and over again that, that people who, who probably would never know who she is, oh yeah, that's the lady that does this. She's developed a habit. And she's known for these actions. And that's what I'd like for us to consider this morning. Before our Christmas series, Wes spent a few weeks going through Paul's missionary journey, challenging us as the church to be on mission. And this morning, I think there's some practical application that we can, we can provide in our lives to say, hey, you know what, this is what it looks like for me to be on mission. The big idea this morning is, is this. How can we break through barriers in order to present the gospel? Breaking through barriers for gospel conversations. With that in mind, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 4. We find a familiar story. And we'll read starting in verse 7. And we'll probably stop a little sooner than what's in your bulletin. The woman of Samaria... There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. 
Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This, is, this you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship The Father, you will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worship. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. A little background as to what's happening here in John chapter 4. We know that Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee. And in his travels, um, he had become successful. His ministry while in Judea was a successful ministry. But he began to encounter opposition. And encountering the opposition, specifically we see that he had gained the eyes of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were watching his every move. But they had been watching John first, and they found John, they placed John in prison, and they thought that they had ridded themselves of this problem. But Jesus shows up, and as Jesus shows up, he's he's gaining momentum, he's gaining more followers, and he became even a bigger problem for the Pharisees. Matthew Henry comments on this taking place, and he says this, he says, the success of the gospel exasperates its enemies. And that's exactly what Jesus had done. As he's going through Judea, on his way now to Galilee, he has exasperated his enemies. The Pharisees are watching him and they want to imprison him. Persecution has come. And he's on his way to Galilee because he's got more friends in Galilee than Judea. So in route to Galilee, he decides to go through Samaria. And you know this, Jews did not go through Samaria. They went around Samaria to get to Galilee. But Jesus decides to go through Samaria. Samaritans were considered mongrel Jews. They were half-breeds. There was no love lost between a Jew and a Samaritan. A Jew thought that there was no greater insult than to be called a Samaritan. And when things were going well for the Jews, the Samaritans, interestingly enough, considered them kin, friends. When things were going poorly, For the Jews, when Jews were being persecuted, the Samaritans considered them as foreigners. They wanted nothing to do with them. However, we know that the Samaritans worship the God of Israel. So we have two people groups who don't get along, yet they're worshiping the same God. The Samaritans have built a temple there, and the Jews didn't like that too much. They thought that the temple that the Samaritans had built 
was to be in competition with the temple that was built in Jerusalem. So there's a lot of differences. Some of them you could look back and say, these are kind of petty. Some of them stuck out and say, wait a minute, this, this shouldn't be an issue. But yet we see the scene is set for, for an interesting confrontation here at the well, just based strictly on race and history. One time in Luke 9.53, we see the Samaritans didn't let Jesus pass through. We read, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem, he was turned away. They wouldn't let him come through. As a Jew, you can't come through here. You've got to go the long round. And then we read in Matthew 10.5, where Jesus tells his disciples to stay away from Gentile cities. And he specifically mentions Samaritan cities. So it's very, very interesting that this is the background, and yet here we have Jesus and his disciples passing through Samaria, the place where they said, you cannot come, the place that Jesus said, do not go. Yet he's passing through, and not only is he passing through, he decides to sit and rest a while. It's noon, it's the sixth hour, the scripture says. It's the heat of the day. And Jesus finds a strategic place to stop. I find it interesting. There's a lot of application. There's so much application in this text. We'll, we'll pick a few. But one of these is, is, is that Jesus is intentional in his spot. You see that throughout the ministry of Jesus, his intentionality, that he never does something on accident. Obviously, that sounds silly to say, right? Because he's God. But Jesus is intentional in his place to stop. He's fleeing persecution going to where things are a little more friendly for him in Galilee, and yet as he's fleeing, he decides, you know what, there's a few more barriers that I need to break down, right? And um, he sits and he stops at this well. He stops at Jacob's well. It's a well that Jacob dug and used for himself and his family. We see that he used it for his cattle. And now it's used by these in Samaria. He stops for a break. He's situated there at Jacob's well. A busy juncture, a crossroads, if you will. There's a busy road where a lot of people can see what's going on. In verse 6b, we pick up and it says, So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. A couple of things that are interesting here. Number one, we see that Jesus is tired. He's a weary traveler. Remember, Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, we see his humanity coming out, and that as he's walking, he gets tired. It's hot. It's been a long day so far, and we need to have something to drink. And then secondly, we see that Jesus is a poor man. He's a poor man. There's no entourage. There's no horses. There's no camels, right? There's no caravan. Jesus and his disciples are walking from point A to point B, and they stop here in Samaria. And as Jesus sits, the disciples go off into the town, and then the conversation begins. The woman comes to draw water. You know this. She comes in the heat of the day. She comes in the sixth hour. We understand that she was a poor lady as well. If she was not poor, she would have sent someone to get the water for her. Rather, she's working on her own. She's been shamed, right? She comes to the well when no one else is there in the heat of the day. And Jesus looks at this lady, sitting down at the well. Sitting down, this lady comes and he says to her, give me a drink of water. And then one of the most, uh, I think, intriguing passages of scripture. 
unfolds. Give me a drink of water. He needed water because we've already said he was a weary traveler. It's also interesting to know that Jesus is going to use this as an illustration in this conversation. Give me some water. And the conversation takes a turn. Look at verse 9. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? In other words, she says, How is this even possible? How is this happening right now? How is this that you are a Jew? Not only a Jew, you're a man. And here I am, a Samaritan woman sitting here, and you are speaking to me. This doesn't happen. This isn't supposed to happen. The first point of application, I think, for us this morning is this. That we have to put on humility in encountering people with the gospel. This woman is astounded because it was known that Jews would rather suffer any hardship than ask for any kind of assistance from a Samaritan. It would rather be inconvenienced than to go out of the way to ask for any kind of assistance. We have to put on humility in the face of, watch this, in the face of, of cultural differences, in the face of political differences, in the face of religious differences, or even selfish norms. The, the important thing for us to hear this morning is that we must put on humility. How often do we allow our political affiliation or our cultural uh, differences, or even our selfish motives pr- to prohibit us from engaging people with the gospel. I think that we have to understand that we, we, we need to fight against what is normal. In this day, it was normal for a Jew and a Samaritan not to get along. It was normal if a Jew were to see a Samaritan to turn the other way and vice versa. It was normal. It was accepted Yet Jesus puts on humility, sits down at this well, and engages this lady in conversation. I think this is a lost art because today we, we all want to be right. We all want to win every single battle. And I think, without getting too far ahead of myself, that we sacrifice the war in order to win every single battle. Jesus puts on humility. He sits down. This woman's question is a question of confusion. She says, why are you asking me? Why should I give this to you? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Remember, we simply just don't get along. And it's in this moment that Jesus takes advantage of the opportunity because we understand that it's for this moment that Jesus came to Samaria. His intentionality to go to the well. As I thought about that this week... I ask myself this question, and I want to ask you the question as well. How often do you wonder how many divine or teachable moments we would experience in our lives in just one day if we opened our eyes to what God was doing? I hear stories all the time of people who see God do some miraculous things in their lives and through their lives, and I have become convinced that it's not an accident. These are people who say, God, I want to be interrupted by, I want to be inconvenienced by divine appointments, teachable moments. I want to be used 
by you today. Show me where you're working and help me to be a part of that. I've got my agenda. I've got my schedule. But God, I want to be used by you in the lives of those around me. Jesus seized an opportunity now to go deeper with the conversation. Note what he does as he talks. Number one in the text, he pays no attention to this woman's argument as it comes to race and culture. He doesn't address what she says about being a Jew or being a Samaritan because he understood that the argument that she presented wasn't critical to the conversation. He was able to skip over that. Secondly, he offers more than what she was looking for. She came to the well wanting water, and we know through the text this morning and then having heard this most of our lives, that he gives her living water. He offers her living water. But thirdly, and I think very, very interestingly, he says uh, we see that he is not offended by her ignorance. Well, who, who are you? Who am I? What are we doing here? Why are you asking me these questions? In all three of those points, I think we can see, or I see, as we apply this, that, that, that we tend to be a people who are becoming a little more impatient and less tolerant with one another, don't we? We seem to do the opposite of what Jesus did here in this moment. If someone poses to us an argument, we're going to argue back. If, 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 if someone says, hey, I need this, we're just going to do this and give it to him or her, and, and that's it. We're not going to go above and beyond. And then oftentimes we get offended by people's ignorance. We don't sit and talk and listen to see what's really going on and, and, and to ask God, is this a moment that I could be used to show the love of Christ and even take it a step further and have a conversation with this person. I think it's a problem within the church where it shouldn't be a problem. I think it's a problem outside the church and we don't have to look far to see that. We expect people to be where we are and when they're not there we get frustrated. Well being a Samaritan, Jesus knew this but now we know, being a Samaritan that this woman wouldn't have had the same access to the same helps that Jews had to understand who Jesus was or even what he was talking about. This lady was genuinely lost in her own ignorance, and Jesus was not offended. He didn't shut down the conversation or insult her knowledge or even her lack thereof. He didn't divert. He didn't say, woman, just give me something to drink, right? He was very, very patient with this lady. And then he gives her a subtle hint. Look at verse 10. He says this. Rather than becoming indignant, he says this to the lady. If you knew the gift of God and who it was who was saying to you, dot, dot, dot. Ma'am, if you only knew who I was or who I am, if you only knew, if you only had access to what everybody else has access to, you would know. But you don't. And so we're going to go a few steps further. I think here, there's careful direction towards a permanent solution. Jesus takes time 
to provide careful direction to this lady who was lost in her own ignorance towards a permanent solution. And Jesus gets a little more patient, right? We see in verse 11 and 12 this Samaritan woman's response. She still hasn't caught on yet, and who could blame her? Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, verse 11, and the well is deep. And then she goes on in verse 12 and she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob who provided this well? So there's two problems here, Jesus. Number one, this well is way too deep and you don't have a bucket. And secondly, I I, I don't understand who you think you are because Jacob made this well. Jacob is the one that provided this water. Are you greater than he is? Are you greater than the one who created this well? That's what she's asking. And isn't that what most people are asking us as believers, as followers of Jesus, as Christians? Isn't that what they're asking of God? In the midst of their lives, in the midst of all the things that are going on, God, are you greater than fill in the blank? It could be a number of different things. God, are you, are you really greater than my income? Are you really greater than my job? God, are you really greater than my family? Are you greater than this relationship? Are you greater than my talents? God, are you really greater than fill in the blank? I think that's what people are asking. I think that's what people want to know when they come to us as believers. We have the answer. They're asking, is God really greater than this? She was comparing this man at the well, Jesus, to that with which she was already comfortable. That's what she was doing. She understands that there's a proposition here. She understands something is happening. She's kind of engaging in the conversation now. And she says, but wait, wait a minute. Are, are, you, are you greater than our father Jacob? Because here's, here's, here's what's happening here. I, I'm, I'm really comfortable with what I've got. Right? It's inconvenient, but I'm comfortable with what I have. Henry comments on this, and he says, An overfond veneration for antiquity makes God's graces and the good people of our own day to be slighted. What's Matthew Henry saying? He says that when we become too comfortable with comfort, we miss the blessings of the grace of God. An overfond veneration for antiquity. Looking back at the good old days and understanding these are comfortable times. This lady was comfortable with what she had. And Jesus responds to her question with practical and then with spiritual helps. We see in verse 13, Jesus answered and he said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. So here's some practical insight. Yes, I can get water from this well, but I will and you will and everyone who comes to this well will be thirsty again. This water is only a temporary solution to a recurring problem. Thirst will come back. And because your thirst will come back, you will come back again and again and again. Or you'll find another well. Verse 14, here's some spiritual insight. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give him shall never thirst. Jesus says, but there is a solution. 
Remember that living water in verse 10. I can give you that and you'll never thirst again. And we know as believers that in Jesus Christ we have living water. In Christ alone we are satisfied. We come to Him and that's all that we need. In the world we have temporary water. The temporary always requires a permanent solution. Because here's what happens. When the well draws up, dries up, we have to go find another well. We have to go find another well because the thirst comes back and it's never quenched. And so it, we end up moving from well to well to well. And the believer has in himself, through Jesus Christ, springing water we see in verse 14. A continuous flow of spring of water. And then look what the lady says in verse 15. Get, uh, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Sir, give me this water so I don't have to come back to this place ever again. Why? Because the well for this lady had become a place of ridicule. It had become a place of pain. It had become a place of loneliness. And it had become a place of shame. And this place of temporary satisfaction had become an unwelcome sight but it's here that Jesus offers her something better. And I would ask this of us, church. How many people in our lives are waiting for us to offer them something better? They come to the same place over and over and over again, and we happen to be there. And they're waiting for us to offer them something better. Jesus says in verse 16, He said, Go Call your husband and come over here. What Jesus is doing here, he's kind of becoming a little more culturally appropriate. It's like, hey, so we can continue this conversation. Go get your husband and come over here, right? What he's also doing is he's, he is signifying, or he's demonstrating his deity by calling her out in her sin. Perhaps she needed just a little bit more of a, of a nudge in order to respond to his invitation, but we know that Jesus knew this lady's current situation. And this woman would be faced with a decision. The decision was this, what would she love more? Would she turn to her sin, that which, with which she was already comfortable, or would she turn to the Messiah? Would she, would she stay in comfort, or would she go to what was new? And she chose the Messiah. And watch this. She left the place that had become a place of shame, and ran to the town that had shamed her to tell what had just happened at the place of shame. That's the power of an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's life-changing. It changes the way that we see things. It changes the way that we do things. It changes the way that we see people. It changes the way that we respond to or deal with people. She leaves her water pot behind. Some say it's because she knew she was coming back. Others say because she didn't need it anymore because she had the living water. Either way, she leaves it behind and goes to the place that, that had shamed her and said, you've got to come see this guy, Jesus. And so how do we apply that to our lives? I think there are three things, very, very quickly, that we have to understand. Number one, our posture has to change. If we're going to engage people in gospel conversations... We have to put on a posture of humility. Secondly, we have to be patient with one another 
and patient with those who don't know who Jesus is. We know that Jesus didn't become frustrated by this lady's rebuttal, but rather he knew what was pertinent to the conversation and he knew what could be passed over. And third, we have to get to the point where we give a presentation. Loving people is great. Serving people is great. But presenting people with the gospel of Jesus Christ is even better. He used what was there, Jesus did, to tell this lady who he was. He gently exposed her to her sin and her need for him. I think we have to understand there are people who are tired of going to the same well over and over and over again. The water has become stagnant. The, the, the journey has become lonely. There's no permanent satisfaction. They're searching for living water, and we have the answer in Christ Jesus. And look at what happens in verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of this woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. The Samaritans who said, no, 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 you can't come through here. said, now you can come here and you can stay here for two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. And yet oftentimes we find ourselves in the position of the disciples who come back onto the scene. Confused, trying to figure out what happened, and sometimes overcomplicating things. And I wonder if the whole time Jesus is whispering, just like he says in verse 35b, Church, lift up your eyes and look to the fields that they are white for harvest. It's time to get to work. So let me ask you these questions as we conclude. Where is your well? Where is the place that Jesus is going to use, God is going to use in your life to have gospel conversations, to point people to Jesus? What's your posture? Are you putting on humility? How patient are you willing to be with people who are lost in their own ignorance and looking for a solution? And when are you going to finally present the gospel to that person who needs to hear the life-changing, life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe today you're looking to make a fresh commitment, and I would encourage you to do this. To set a goal this year, how many gospel conversations can I have with my friends, my neighbors, my relatives? How can I get serious about offering the hope of the gospel to those with whom I work, live, and play? But also, maybe today you're here and you're, you can identify with the lady at the well. You're tired of looking for answers in all the wrong places, and your heart is longing for that permanent solution, permanent relief. And for the first time, you realize this morning that Jesus is the answer. I'd love to talk with you. I know our staff would love to talk with you this morning. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you join us here at First Baptist Church. However the Holy Spirit is leading, I would encourage you to take a few minutes and respond appropriately this morning. God, thank you so much for this time. We ask... Father, that you would give us boldness to respond and courage to do what we know you've equipped us to do for your glory. Amen. As you stand, the choir is going to sing, and I would invite you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads.
be seated.